You're listening to the Business and Life Conversations podcast, episode 101. Hey there, you're listening to the Business and Life Conversations podcast. My name is Angela Henderson, and on this show, we talk about improving your business, life, or both by having amazing and rich conversations with brilliant guests who will inspire you and who will give you tips and tricks to help you grow both in life and in business. Well, hey there, and welcome back to another awesome episode of the Business and Life Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Ange, from Angela Henderson Consulting, where I am a business consultant and coach who has helped hundreds of amazing women business owners get all the pieces in place to have consistent five-figure months and then on to six-figure years without burning out in the process. Today, I'm excited to bring on someone I've been following for quite some time maybe even stalking just because she is so amazing and so awesome and just, yeah, she's just cool. Someone who brings a wealth of knowledge, but also positivity to her community. And I'm all about surrounding myself about women who uplift other women and who are just overall positive. I cannot handle negativity and Debbie Downers and just toxic people. And this person I'm bringing on is none of those because she's absolutely brilliant. This amazing person I'm talking about is Amber McHugh. In today's episode, we're going to be chatting about how to clone yourself, which leads to multiplying your efforts and getting more done without more work. I'm going to be chatting with Ember specifically about why you don't need to work harder in business when in fact less is more. We're going to dive deep into the key five areas businesses need in order to truly clone themselves and why asking for help is a must and not a failure and so much more goodness is about to unfold in front of you. Not really in front of you. In your ears, anyways. So get ready for an absolutely epic episode. But before we hop straight into this amazing episode, I'd like to remind you that if you enjoy this episode, I'd love for you to share your key takeaway, a fun fact, or anything you'd love to share about the podcast over on your Instagram stories. And make sure you tag me at Angela Henderson Consulting because, as you know, it would put a smile on my dial. Also, this episode is sponsored by Australia's leading four-day, three-night women in business retreat, exclusive women business and retreat that I run every single year. The retreat is all about focusing on women having the chance to connect, refocus, learn, and grow so that you can grow both in life and in business. My keynote for this event is my good friend and the most amazing human ever, Denise Duffield-Thomas. She is bringing her A-game and I cannot wait for her to open up the four-day retreat. This amazing retreat is being held from November 5th through to November 8th, 2020 at the Gold Coast in Queensland, Australia. And as I said, it's an exclusive event with only 50 tickets being sold and already, that's right, 50% of tickets are already sold out. I also have six-month payment plans in order to ensure you have access to this amazing event to help your business grow while at the same time ensuring you have the cash flow to keep everything else running in your day-to-day business. To learn about this event and secure your ticket ASAP, make sure you head to AngelaHenderson.com.au and simply click on retreat to book your ticket. All right, now let's jump into this amazing episode. Welcome to the show, Amber. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm super, super excited to have you on the show today to talk about, let's be honest, how to clone yourself because running a business, Amber, as you know, isn't easy at any stage of business and we're always looking for ways to clone ourselves. So today is going to be a super, super fun Jimmy conversation with you. Oh, it'll be a blast. One of my favorite things is to get more of you in the world. So we are we are going to have a blast cloning some people today. Cloning some people today. Before we start cloning away though, now one of the cool things I love is that you love to travel. You're currently living in Ethiopia, which for those of you just making sure you all know is part of Africa, all right, with your family. And at time of recording, you've just come back from the US. And I know one of the things you love most about being in the US was, wait for it, a kale salad, because as you said, you don't get many salads in Ethiopia. So my first question that I like to ask all my guests is a fun question so that the audience gets to know a little bit about you, Amber. So my question to you is, what is your all-time favorite salad and why? Oh my gosh, that kale. Well, right now I'm going to go with that kale salad I ate. I touched down in Tampa and less than two hours later, I was eating a kale salad from a restaurant. I don't even know the name of. It was less than two blocks from the hotel I was staying at in, um, oh, what was it? It was Hyde Park Village in Mm -hmm. Tampa, a cute little neighborhood. I highly recommend the area. And this salad, you know how kale can be a little bit hard? Yes. This kale 
it wasn't soft or soggy, but it was it was chewable. I don't know. It was so delicious. It's been a while since I've <laughs> that good. <laughs> and again, oh my gosh. And is it just because, again, I've never been to Ethiopia, but is it just because like lettuce isn't one of their core staples or what, what is it that's difficult to get the salads in Ethiopia? Well, you have to make any, any really vegetables that you're going to eat. People definitely recommend that you eat them at home. Okay. And you know, I can make a salad, but I'm not the best salad maker in the world. I think my salad's pretty basic. Yep. <laughs> so, you know, I, do, I am making my homemade, a homemade ranch dressing now. Oh, so gosh. I'm pretty impressed by that. I have mastered the homemade ranch dressing, but Goodness. I'm not very good at much else. Not much. And yeah. So because when you're the, the hygiene is different here in Ethiopia. Yes. So people don't recommend that you eat salad. Like I got a salad for breakfast once I was craving salad and I was at a breakfast meeting with some friends uh-huh. and they were looking at me like, you're really going to eat a salad here. I'm like, oh, <laughs> and it was pretty good also. And I did not get sick. Knock on wood. Knock on and wood. I've ate it a couple of times since then, but you just don't eat the salad. Yeah, you just got to be precautionary. Fair enough. And listen, you tipped on one of the things I love. Australia does not do ranch well. So when I head back to the United States or to Canada, it's like, besides the free diet Coke refills that I get over and over and over again, because in Australia, you don't get free refills either. You pay like $4 for like one pop or one soda that, um, yeah, that in like guzzling literally gallons of ranch dressing. Like you cannot, I mean, you can take the worst salad and, you know, pretty much sprinkle that with ranch and you're going to be okay. Life is going to be okay. Life is okay when you've got ranch. And I'm telling you, I I put that on a lot of things. Now I wasn't a ranch fan before moving to Ethiopia really, but my sister gave me a simple ranch recipe, which Mm -hmm. is just mayo. Mayo is key. Apple cider vinegar, dill. Mm -hmm. That's the other secret ingredient. Mm -hmm. Paprika, onion powder, and that's it. That's all I put in it. Oh gosh, I may have to hit you up with that because yeah, Australia does not do ranch well. So now listen, Amber, I've been following you for a while and it takes something special for me to follow people because in fact, I've just unfollowed 1500 people on Instagram because I just felt there was a disconnect with who I was actually following, who was inspiring me, you know, getting rid again, that shedding of, you know, people when you start to grow through your business. And in fact, since unfollowing 1500 people, I'm having more meaningful conversations with the people that I coach because I see their stuff in my, you know, newsfeed now, people such as yourself, like your stuff started to, you know, I was already following you, but your stuff was then becoming more and more present again, because again, obviously it's not competing with 1500 other people. And there's something about your spark, something about your vibe that I want others to experience too. And one of the power messages that connected with me on your Instagram and that I see you weave beautifully throughout your content is one of the sayings you say is you are right on time. You are right on time. So can you share why this simple statement is so important to you and why you, why you weave that through your content? Uh, Angela, yes. You know, this has become a mantra and a way of living for our family. And it's been a pull through in our business and actually started as a business mantra. I started gifting this to our clients. I, I think it was in the summer of 2015, maybe the summer of 2014, when clients would say to me, you know, I'm late. I'm sorry. I'm late for our call. I'm sorry. I missed our call. I, apologizing, right? I'm like, you know what? You're right on time. You don't have to be sorry. Whether it was a traffic jam that tripped you up from getting to the call on time, or it was something that was happening with the kids or something from a mindset perspective came up, whatever it was, it's okay. Like we can work through that together. What I was happy is that they came back to me and and showed up. And I realized about a year, two years into, into sharing this mantra with my clients that I wasn't gifting this to myself. I was still putting this pressure on myself, even though I had separated myself from this, this hustle pressure, although I'm all about like doing the work, right? But that pressure that can sometimes come with the hustle and grind Mm -hmm. and the anxiety that can sometimes come with it. I was still very much feeling it. Mm -hmm. And I was a recovering workaholic from corporate and I was stepping into a new season of my life as we were gearing up to move to Africa. And I realized I needed to gift myself this right on time way of thinking. Mm -hmm. So I asked for lessons in patience and surrender. Mm -hmm. 
And lesson after lesson after lesson came at me. And what also kept coming as a part of this journey in, in asking for lessons and patience and surrender, if you ever ask for that, I caution you, warning, warning from Amber. <laughs> if you ever think like, oh, I'm going to try that too. <laughs> ask and you shall receive because they came fast and furious. But as a part of that, I was also asking like, what is my purpose? What am I supposed to be doing here? And this message came back loud and clear. You are right on time. Mm -hmm. And as a part of that, Angela, what happened is that we were actually not supposed to move to Ethiopia. We were supposed to be moving to the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Mm -hmm. And our house got packed up. Our, it was actually our temporary apartment that we were living in for the year. And the the bus, the van with all of our stuff had left Annapolis. And my husband called and said, oh, sorry, honey, we're not moving on Tuesday. Oh, no. Like, oh, no, we are moving. Our stuff has left. Like, we're, we just have the eight suitcases for the weekend. <laughs> Yep. And no, we're not moving. The situation in the Congo had changed. So my they needed my husband to have more French so that he could, you know, be a little bit more versed and, and just be ready to go uh, when he hit the ground. And that started 15 moves. And eight months later, we landed in Ethiopia and everything changed for us. And again, that's part one of many of those patience and surrender lessons and those reminders everything's right on time. Like everything is supposed to be happening. And you can imagine the conversations we had, like joking, laughing, <laughs> it's right on time. <laughs> but ever since then, you know, we've just observed in our business and our lives, like it's all right on time. And with my clients, the same thing. And I've had clients come to me and say like, I know why I didn't start that course now because I have a bigger vision for it. And if I would have started it three months ago or six months ago, it wouldn't have been the same thing. Like I needed that space and that time. And sometimes we push and we rush and we're so anxious and excited for something to come to life, but there may be something bigger at play. And mm -hmm. at the same time, sometimes we wait on something when we're actually very ready for it. So right on time. Yep. You're right on time. And that's what I loved about it. It was just about, but it's also about giving people permission, I think, right? Because I think again, with so much distraction from Facebook ads, Instagram stories, newsletters, whatever it is, podcast, et cetera, right? Is there so much pressure? You have to do this. You have to do this. You have to do this. But I think sometimes just hearing that and, and other, you know, women and men and other business owners, et cetera, just listening, going, hold on a minute. Actually, I'm right where I'm supposed to be. I'm right on time. Wow. It's okay. And I just think, again, we don't hear that message often enough. So when I first started following you and I started to see that getting weaved, it was one of the things I wanted to start with because I think it's an important lesson, um, an important mantra that you know, I mean, many people can learn from. Now, speaking about not everyone listening will know who you are, Amber. Not everyone will be following you. So I'd love for you just to go back a little bit with your business journey because you don't have just one. You have two businesses that you run. That's right. And I'd love for you just to share us with a little bit about you know, these amazing businesses, where they started and where you're at today. Absolutely. I do have two businesses. And actually what came first was my photography business. I always knew I wanted to start a business. Uh, always had that bug, that, that nudge, that calling, but I wasn't quite sure what it was going to be. So I kept following the nudge, the calling, and was just kind of exploring and dabbling. And as a part of that, uh, I picked up a camera and I started taking a picture a day. And actually, I, I picked up a camera really for the second time in my life. My first time, it was a manual camera yep. you know, back in high school. And then fast forward, we were digital and there was Photoshop. We weren't just in a dark room. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, I got to learn a whole new way of, of photography. And so I was taking a picture a day with my new digital camera and learning Photoshop as a part of that. And that photo a day project turned into me grabbing my model, my former model BFF and another BFF photographer. Mm -hmm. And we took pictures for my husband who was overseas at the time. And we actually very specifically took boudoir photos. Uh -huh. And as a part of that, friends started asking like, oh, I'd like to take photos for my husband. Our anniversary is coming up. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'd like to take photos, you know, for my, my um, husband just because, right? And yeah. all these things started coming up around it. And that journey turned into three boudoir, not suitable for work or kids. If you <laughs> <laughs> I like to warn, don't want to set off any alarms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but 
that turned into our photography business. And, you know, I just made a note. I was looking at our, our stats and some numbers and that business, it took us three years. After three years, we were at 15,000 annual revenue. Mm-hmm. And fast forward today, we're operating in 10 cities in the United States and we are doing a million in revenue a year. And we've got a team of 26 people. How amazing is that? Oh my gosh. Incredible how, how things can grow. And, and if we would have quit three years in 15,000 in revenue, it was a side hustle, you know, and at at that three year mark, just after that, that's when things took off and our revenue was 80,000 the fourth year. So Mm -hmm. there was that big spike. We had some shift in marketing strategies. We were working on some things that just finally kicked in. And then at the same time, about year two into that, I was starting to dabble in coaching because that's really where I thought I wanted to play and very specifically at the time, life coaching. Mm-hmm. But as I was growing the photography business and I realized like, God, it's not life coaching. I kept going back to business. Mm -hmm. I'm like, you know, I really want to stay connected to business. And I was realizing in the photography business, I like doing the business strategy. That was my background, business consulting, uh, business management, talent management. And that's when I'm like, you know, what we're doing in the photography business and where this is going, could see the trajectory happening and see what was coming. I wanted to be able to support small business owners in that. So at the same time, I have that going. And now, of course, I have AmberMcHugh.com where I'm doing business consulting and strategy with micropreneurs. Truly, I say small business, but it's micro and small business owners as well. Dude, fantastic. And what an amazing journey to, like you said, you almost gave up at the three-year mark because you're like, all right, dude, how much time? But something that I actually just posted at time of recording on my business page yesterday in my group, and I think it's important that kind of resonates with me with what you're talking about here is, So the kids and I were gardening outside on a Sunday, beautiful sunny day here in Australia. And I was like, business is a lot like gardening. I was like, in my opinion is the day you plant the seed is not the day you eat the fruit. And I was like, again, read that again, people. The day you plant the seed is not the day you read the fruit. And I said, the day you open your business is not the day you hit those seven figures. Growing a business takes time. And I went on to say something like, you have to take action every day, just like you have to water a plant every day. You have to bring a growth mindset to your business, like just like you give a plant sunlight every day. You have to deal with some shit like bad customer struggles and sales, just like you have to pick the weeds out from the plant in order for it to thrive. But, and just like you, Amber, but then you know, going into year four for you, that day, day by day, the plant grows day by day, that plant gets stronger. And then the flower blooms. Now, sometimes a flower blooms quickly, but other times like a coconut tree, it can take up to six years. So again, it's what, it's those things that I think businesses, especially in this digital world that we live in, there's, they're looking for the quick fix because again, Instagram, you can get something, you can buy off of Amazon in two hours and have it dropped off. Do you know what I mean? At a local grocery store and pick it up in a locker right after. Right. But to me, it's like the most important thing is you must be patient. And most importantly, even more than being patient is you must keep taking imperfect action every day because that's still better than no action at all. So I think, again, it's, I really appreciate you sharing that because again, growing a business is a lot like gardening. It it takes time. I could not agree more. And I think that's one of the beauties of moving to a country like uh, Ethiopia, where we don't have Amazon and things may take two weeks to four weeks for Mm -hmm. things to get to us. It's been a great reminder that things do not happen overnight for Mm -hmm you know, 90% of the world. And I've had to really just sit with it. And I always joke that I operate a little bit more like the turtle. And for a while, I, I, that I, I was beating myself up or I was sort of taking a jab at myself when I would say that. But now there are tortoises that surround me. (laughs) Tortoises (laughs) are on the grounds here in multiple places, at schools, at museums, at parks. And I'm like, oh, you know what? I really like those turtles. I really like those turtles. They take an extra minute to get where they're going, but they get there and they get there gracefully. And I love watching them. And so I, I think that it's all a little bit like what you're saying with the growth mindset. It's all about how we're framing things. Mm-hmm. And we can put this pressure on ourselves to get there very quickly and compare and contrast to what other people are doing, or we can embrace this journey that we are on and watch this unfold very beautifully. 
I totally agree. And I just think, again, it's step by step. It's like, again, you can't eat an elephant whole. You've got to take it off in chunk sizes, you know. But again, it's that pressure, right? It's the pressure that we've got to get everything done. Whereas, again, you can just, you're in the right place. You've got to just take your time. And speaking of that, though, is you wouldn't have just got into the $1 million mark, do you know what I mean, just overnight. And so that's where I really want to kind of dig deep more about Today, we're going to talk about how to clone yourself and multiply your efforts and get more done without more work. And here's the thing, though. Some people will struggle with thinking getting more done with um, getting more done without having to do more work. They might be thinking, Amber, this is impossible. I have to work harder. But the reality it is, is once you can train yourself, less is more, right? It's like magical things can happen. What do you say to those out there that might be listening, thinking, I have to work harder, not less? Yeah, I would vary very specifically say that people making 10 times more than you are not working 10 times harder than you. Mm -hmm. And that as you start to share the work with people, you are not only sharing the wealth, but you're going to get more leverage and you're going to see things flourish. I remember in our business, the first thing that the first things that I outsourced in both businesses and Every time I outsource, very, I mean, I'm going to speak real. I'm going to speak yeah. real with you. Yeah. The very first things that I outsource, yes, I would see a little bit of a profit dip, but every single time I also saw revenue growth right behind it. Mm-hmm. So it, it was, it, it's like it was a, it was a leading indicator that growth was to come because it freed me up to focus on revenue generating activities. Mm -hmm. For example, in the consulting business, when I started both of these businesses, I was working full-time jobs still, Mm -hmm. a full-time job, not, not jobs, plural. (laughs) 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 So I'm working full time, a full-time job in the consulting business. I outsourced posting content right? Mm -hmm. So posting the blog post, which was taking me about eight hours to get that posted and then get it shared on social media, get email posts out because you got to write it. And then you get, you know, we get in our heads, things have to be perfect or, Oh no, I could just tweak this a little bit more. Oh no, I can change out that image. That image isn't exactly right. So we get stuck in these things and it takes us so much more time than it actually needs to. So we could spend a little bit and it'll take someone less time than it takes us. And it's out there. And we get all of that time back to focus on being in service to clients and actually doing some direct marketing or having some sales conversations to actually bring us revenue. And then in the photography business, Joanna and I were doing it all for years. And we started to get the, those clients coming in. And I was doing all of the back-end work. And I was going to drive myself crazy. And again, I realized how to clone yourself. I really had to get grounded with myself and say, Amber, practice what you preach, practice what you know to be true. And everything I have learned from corporate and everything I know from all of my business studies and everything I've seen from all of my mentors and leaders and outsource this before it drives you crazy. So you can focus on the higher leveraged activities. So I outsourced fulfillment of all of our products. I outsourced all of the back and forth customer service support. Mm-hmm. I outsourced anything, anything post photo shoot because I did not need to do it. I needed to be there for the photo shoot because I was our photographer at the time and I needed to do our business strategy and our business took off. Mm-hmm. Yep. Absolutely. It would have. Yeah. So as those things happen, so I really want to encourage people who are doubting and wondering and holding on. And then of course, there are any number of mindset things that come up again and again. I see in people when they're hesitating on how to clone themselves, like no one else can do it better than me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to take me longer to show someone else how to do it than it will actually take me to do it myself. And some of these things and these lists of myths go on and on and on, right? Yes. And some of these things are true, but they're only true temporarily, right? And yes. some of these things, right, there's a false belief. Like you don't actually want someone who will do it the same as you. You want someone who will do it different than you because we don't want, we don't want to use, right? We want someone who can do those things that you can't do 
very, like you don't do it very well. Like I kind of sucked at posting my blog post process and all the the follow-ups. I procrastinated it. I took too long. I was being a perfectionist in the process. Like it was not me operating in my zone of genius. So you want sort of the peanut butter to your jelly, the yin to your yang. And then on the flip side, it may take you a hot minute to train someone else up on the vision that you have. But that is short-term pain and very much long-term gain if you recruit and hire the right people. And there is a little bit of an art and science to the hiring process, but it is well worth it to invest that time. It is hugely an investment in your future. And yes, we'll talk about that in a little bit longer too, because I know I'm currently at a hiring stage, you know, and it is, it can be a bit painful, but you're just kind of like, you got to sit in that uncomfortable to get to the growth. So yes. Now I do my research for all the guests that I come on board. This is one thing that I actually do myself because I just don't know why. It's one of the things that it's just, if I'm going to bring on someone and I want to have their time for an hour or so, I just, I want to know you guys. And so one of the things that again, cloning actually started way before business for you. I was reading somewhere that you were, um, you started university and you had your first daughter off the top of my head. I'm not, I just, I don't want to mess the story up. And you actually had to learn, you were like full-time student, you know, mom trying to do a bunch of things and you had to start cloning yourself at a very early age, even before business. And I just wanted to know how did that cloning early on help lead you to being able to ask for the help? Because the second part of the story is how, in my opinion, and you also talk about it, is how women struggle to ask for help. Um, Because again, they don't, they feel like they're a failure or the guilt comes in or a variety of other stories or beliefs that we hold with that. So I just want to go back a little bit about how you had to clone yourself earlier on and how that's played into you being able to ask for help and start cloning yourself in your business. Oh, you're so good. You know what? And it's so funny because I didn't even realize what I was doing in those years and how I was training myself. And to just fill you who are listening in, what Angela is referring to is that I had my first daughter Christmas break, freshman year at university. So freshman year, for those that don't know, just FYI, freshman year is like your first year of university. Yes. Yes. Year one at university, I had Lily. So that was over our Christmas holiday. And it was, um, so six months into university, like straight out of the gate. Well, I was pregnant. So I'm pregnant my first six months. I'm walking around, waddling around campus. And then I have her at the six month mark. And then I go right back to school. And that is is a little bit it was a little bit unique for our university campus. I don't know about the rest of the campuses around the world, but in the states that was a little bit unique. Yep. And um the so that was a big life change and a big life experience for me. And it it's interesting because you going back to the theme that you kicked us off with Angela around mindset, it was all mindset. And I had one person in my life who said to me, you know, because when you're when you're having a child at that age and you're making big decisions like that for a baby, you think through everything and what's going to be the absolute best possible situation for this child. Mm -hmm. And an uncle actually said to me, you are going to be the best thing for this baby. No Mm -hmm. one else is going to be able to do it better. And I thought, oh my gosh, okay. All right. Like, (laughs) oh boy. (laughs) And so, but I was still committed to some things. I was committed to going to university. I wasn't willing to back out on that. So I decided to take her with me to school and we were about three hours away from where my family was. So they weren't right around the corner for me to, you know, tap into babysitters. So I really had to tap into my network at school that I had built up in those six months while I was pregnant. Uh And it was, it was scary. It was scary and a little bit awkward. And, you know, at my core, I'm pretty independent. Mm -hmm. I like to do things on my own. So all of those myths and beliefs that come up for people around, I can do this on my own. Nobody can do it. Like, oh yeah, you know, those things were coming up for me, (laughs) especially with my newborn baby in my hands and walking out the door and, and wondering and listening if she's crying. And so I had to get really good and really comfortable with 
handing her off when I would go to class. Mm -hmm. And I got really lucky because her father did actually, and her her father is now my husband. Mm -hmm. So we stayed together. There were some bumps and some on and offs along the way, but we ended up being together in the end. But at university, we alternated our schedules. So on Tuesday and Thursday, he was, she was with him. He was with her. And, but there were still some nights where my friends would say, Amber, we've arranged the babysitter. This friend, Holly's going to stay home tonight so you can go out. And part of me, I'm not a huge partier. So part of me would say, you know, I'm not a huge party. Like I would, you know, run through some excuses in my head. But then other times, like they've arranged this. You have got to go out. Like you trust these people. They are your friends. You love them. You know, everything's fine. So And you should go out. Like really, you know, you need to separate a little. You can't be a hermit inside your studio apartment. Mm -hmm. You're very tiny one room apartment. (laughs) And so I would have to really coach myself to step into that space with glaring eyes, with people judging, with Mm -hmm. people questioning and with people verbally saying things on the buses when I was walking on campus with a daughter in a stroller carrying Mm -hmm. my backpack, you know, so there was a lot of mindset stuff that came up with that. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so the, there are a lot of parallels. You are so right. And you Mm -hmm. did do your research. (laughs) (laughs) And why do you think like you touch upon there, obviously some, you had great friends that were there to be able to support you and, you know, take Lily from you and still give you, give you opportunity just to have that space. But my question is, is say they didn't ask or say they didn't offer, right? Because to me, one of the, I know we're going to talk about in a minute about some of the things you've talked about that I found is kind of five key areas businesses need in order to truly clone themselves. And you talked a little bit about, but you talk about mindset, time management systems, hiring and leadership. But what I found from doing some, like again, the research is, but the core of these key areas will still come down to asking for help, right? Because it doesn't matter how good your mindset is if you're not prepared to ask for help or time management, if you're not prepared for, to ask for help. So for those of you, help doesn't, asking for help doesn't come easy to some people. It can feel like we're like, again, we're not in control, that we're failing. But by asking for help, it doesn't mean any of those things. We, you know that, I know that. But again, our stories and our limiting beliefs might not be as strong as say for others. But so what do you, what do you believe it means when a woman asks, like when someone truly a woman in business asks for help? You know, I think it signals to people, um, I think it signals to people that we have strength and confidence Mm -hmm. in our abilities and we have belief in our vision. Mm -hmm. Yep. Because when we ask for help and we open up, we recognize that what we are creating is bigger than ourselves. Mm -hmm. And and so often what we're doing, right, the family that we're creating, right, going back to the baby analogy, is bigger than us. and we, it takes a village, right? The old saying, it takes a village. Truly. We need teachers to educate. We have to pull in variety of area of expertise. We need doctors to keep our children healthy. Right. Mm -hmm. And the same thing in our business, no one expects us to be an expert in all things. No Mm -hmm. one creates the expectations for us at the levels uh, that, that we do. We are the only ones that put the levels of expectations on us at the levels that, that we do. This level, mm-hmm. we hold ourselves to a level that is higher than anyone else. Mm-hmm. And it does a huge disservice to us, to our clients, to the people that are waiting for us to create this thing and to bring this thing to life. And it, and it doesn't matter what it is, big, small, whatever we are creating, right? it means something to someone and it's going to have an impact on someone in a very big way. Whether it's you are, if your mission is to create this business for your family so you can have an income, that's huge. Mm-hmm. If your business is impact driven and social driven, also huge, right? So the spectrum, whatever it is, it means something big to someone. And by asking for help, you're going to be able to have that impact faster. And how much do you think, I mean, obviously you now had an opportunity to live in the US and you've now living in Ethiopia. I too have traveled to over 50 different countries, you know. My thing is, is how much of asking for help is seen, or lack of asking for help, I should say, is seen more in Western cultures than in, say, Ethiopia or I've lived in Fiji before, et cetera, because I'm curious to know if you've noticed, like in Ethiopia, you talk about the village component, right? 
And not everyone in Ethiopia lives in a village, but there are pockets of Ethiopia where there, do you mean, there still is villages going around. Do you see that? Do you see people are more likely to ask for help in Ethiopia because of the culture and what's been ingrained and that it's okay to ask for help? Where again, and I I found personally in first world countries, there's not a, a lot of village mentality. What are your thoughts about that? You know, it's interesting. I think it goes two ways. I think that there is definitely um, more willingness and readiness to ask for help, even in the city, right? From There is a high, very high level of poverty. Ethiopia has the third or fourth highest level of poverty in the world, depending Mm -hmm. on the year and and the research that you're looking at. so there is a lot of asking for help by necessity, right? There mm-hmm. is survival at play. But in addition, there is readiness and willingness to give help. Like mm-hmm. every corner that you turn, there is someone willing to give help. And people, there's definitely a collectivist society happening here. Uh-huh. And there is a lot of communal support. And I definitely think in the States, for example, we are very much an individualist society. Mm-hmm. We have large houses where single families are living in. And, you know, you see those things at play, even here in Ethiopia, they're building very large houses for the diplomatic communities Mm -hmm. where I would have my whole family living in our house, like Mm -hmm. everybody condo in the back. Like there is, (laughs) the houses are huge. Yes, (laughs) And, you know, I'd have my whole family here, but there isn't my whole family to have here. Mm -hmm. Um, because we're so far away, but they're building it for communal living. And yes, absolutely. There is a huge difference. And did you notice the same thing in your travels? Yeah. Like for example, in Fiji, for example, one of the most beautiful and amazing countries and they would have nothing and they would be able, they would welcome you into their homes to give you soup or to feed you or to hug you or to smile. And I just think, you know, it's so funny. We're in these first world countries and we have so many tools and resources at our fingertips fingertips, but I still feel that actually our disconnect is crazy. And, you know, some of the research that is coming out, and I've talked about this on the podcast before, is they reckon within the next five to 10 years, the number one cause of death for Western cultures is not going to be like your heart, your liver, all those kidneys, et cetera, right? It's going to be loneliness because people are lonelier than ever before ever before. Not to mention, like, I can't speak about Ethiopian rights or even the American, but I mean, eight people are taking their lives every single day in Australia. Eight people too many, right? And now granted, there's a variety of variables, but I do believe it's coming more and more down to this essence of loneliness, this essence of disconnect. And so though we might have some things that look really, really sparkly and great for uh, and make it feel good from a short-term perspective, I I would be thinking if you dug deep and you interviewed people, that people would actually be more content in living in countries like Ethiopia, in Fiji, in the Solomon Islands, et cetera, because of the connection that you have with community. Yeah, it's unreal. I mean, even walking down the street here, I feel more connected than I do walking down the streets in in the vast majority of the United States. There are certainly different cultures within the United States. So as I, every time we go back to the States, we typically go to a different location. So I'm starting to experience different cultures in the States and getting a different tone and mood, you know, and an understanding of those different cultures. But walking down the streets here, people are more aware and more alert and looking you in the eyes, Mm -hmm. which it's, it's very different. And again, it's interesting. One of my uh, best friends actually is a top psychologist in Alberta for kids. And she was talking about, uh, there's some research that, well, A, schools are now having social skills from young ages implemented into school systems because kids are, don't have the ability now to make eye contact, right? Mm. To shake people's hands. And they're going to have a very difficult time when it comes to interviewing for jobs in the future because of the lack of socialization that they're getting at home and whatever, because technology is taking over. That's one component. And the other component is, is there is some research being done around people on mobile phones, for example, uh, or devices, I should say, collectively, that because they're so um, ingrained to that world, right, that they're mimicking symptoms of autism, right, Asperger's, etc. But because, again, they haven't had the opportunity to then play or parallel play with kids, etc. That's all they know. So it looks like they might have autism because when you take the tablet away and they're prompted to make eye contact or whatever, they're not able to because they it's not something, it's not because they have autism, but they don't know how to, 
right? Because technology's taken over. So I think, again, I know completely off topic, but I do think it's super important to talk about because, again, when it comes back to asking women for help, right, is in yeah. today's society, especially in first world countries, like my kids, they still get tablets and they still get iPad time. But again, it's monitored, right? We're still prompting, we're still guiding, etc. But for a mom who may have been in your, who may be in your scenario, right, who is a single mom, but doesn't have the dad for support, doesn't have friends or family, the tablet can become a very easy thing for us to utilize because it's like, yeah. as you said, because we don't have the village to support us, right? So that yes. village is becoming our technology, right? Because we don't have the family. So I do think there's something to be said about second world and third world countries and the beautiful connection and community they have for people and that western society is uh, actually i think the new the old will become the new again and i think again people are going to start to potentially get sick of this technology and the way it's impacting relationships I could not agree more. And I think coming back to that asking for help, as we think about how that practically plays out, right? You start to build systems so that it's simple to ask for help because you can set someone up for success. But when you bring the right people onto your team, if you have difficulty asking for help, right? Mm -hmm. If this is an area where you're like, you know what? I just do not like to ask for help. <laughs> You want to hire people who will recognize that and they'll be able to draw it out of you, mm -hmm. right? And this is where I, I sort of call it my brand of crazy. I have a thing with feeling judged, right? Mm -hmm. I've brought this up before. Back to going back to Lily. Now we're starting to peel back some of the, the onion and sort of see how, where this likely came from. Yep. As I grew up, <laughs> yep. I did not, that, that parallel and that aha just came for me. So thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> um, but as we look at that, right, I have this thing, like I did not want to feel judged. And when I actually, when we hired our operations manager in the Amber McHugh business, I specifically was looking for someone who would not make me feel shame, who would mm -hmm. not make me feel, now this is a feeling that I would have myself, but uh -huh. I didn't want to feel judged by that person. Mm -hmm. So I, in the interview process, aired some of my brands of crazy, some of my quirks, so uh -huh. to speak. Yep. And I would share that, you know, yep, I'm a systems person and yep, I get operations very well. But we had gotten to a point in the business where I could not be the visionary. I could mm -hmm. not hold that CEO role and take care of the systems. Mm -hmm. So I knew we were moving towards hiring someone in the system space and I would want them to sort of put their own flair on it and enable and allow them to take ownerships of that area. Yes. So I kind of stopped taking care of that. I fired myself from that role in advance of hiring someone so I could start to shift into my role of CEO more mm -hmm. and more. But I let that person know during the hiring process that things were getting a little bit messy on the <laughs> side. So that so, in totally. advance, when they came in, they weren't like, what happened? I wanted to give them a little bit of a realistic job preview. And by doing that, I got a sense of... In the interview process, did I feel judged? Mm -hmm. In the interview process, did I feel shame? Because if I felt that early on, I knew it wasn't going to be a fit when we went longer term into the relationship. And sure enough, I did not feel that judgment. I did not feel that shame. So I knew I had my person. Dude, and that's again, but again, that that willingness to be vulnerable, right? I think yeah. when when you ask for help and whether or not it's through a job interview or whatever, is there's an element of vulnerability. And when you can become vulnerable, I do believe, again, that moves you through that process, but equally gets you, do you know what I mean, what you need at the time, right? Like vulnerability, again, something that's a whole other podcast episode that we could talk about, but yes. So, so listen... <laughs> So now, okay, we've gotten crystal clear that business owners don't need to work harder. In fact, less is more. We've equally gotten clear that asking for help is more powerful and beneficial than not asking for help. Um, we've talked about, again, judgments. We've talked about a whole bunch of goodness. We've talked about communities, you know, and how different first world and third world countries do things differently and what's good and bad. But I'd love for you to walk us through the five key areas that businesses need in, needs to work on in order to truly clone themselves. And I know you've talked about mindset, time management, systems, hiring, and leadership. Are you able to walk us through a little bit about what each of these look like when it comes to that specifically cloning the, the, yourself? Yes. So yes, we'll start with, we'll start with the mindsets part. 
Absolutely. And we've hit on mindset so much as we've moved through this conversation. And that is a bit of readiness, just preparing yourself from a mindset perspective to know that you do not have to do this all alone. And in fact, we need more of you in the world Mm -hmm. and reminding yourself that that's not you doing more, right? The less is more mentality and knowing that people making more than you are not doing 10 times more the work. Mm-hmm. So starting to shift into that growth mindset. Mm-hmm. Now, the second category of time is actually very practical, practical, and it's getting a handle on where is the time actually going, mm-hmm. taking a look day to day, week to week, where do I spend my time? Mm-hmm. And actually, if you've got a team already, this is a great exercise for your team to periodically do, especially if you're looking at adjusting and reallocating who does what. Mm-hmm. If you're at a growth phase and you're looking at taking the team and shifting the makeup because somebody's stretched too thin now, right now that might just very well be you. Mm-hmm. But doing a time inventory for two to three weeks one week is not enough because one week isn't representative of how our, our, our time actually flows mm-hmm. because things change from week to week. So looking at over two to three weeks, where does the time actually go? How am I spending my time at, You know, in 20-minute increments? Uh, every time you sort of change activities, make a note, where is my time going? And then categorizing and looking at how do I feel? about that, that work I'm doing? Mm-hmm. How do I feel about how that time was spent? Because even if it's something that was outside of your zone of genius, if you enjoy it, you know, so in how to clone yourself, we sort of break down if it's something you really enjoy, but it didn't take you a ton of time, right? Okay. And it's outside of your zone of genius. I might say you can keep that because it doesn't take you a ton of time. You love it. It's outside of your zone of genius. I'm not going to prioritize that as something you should get rid of right now because it brings you joy still, right? Exactly it's right. not yep. sucking your energy. I would rather prioritize things to move off your plate that don't take you a lot of time, but it sucks your energy because as CEO, we need your energy to be up regularly. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're going to bring the company down, right? You're going to bring your client relationships down, right? Those energies, will it flows over into other areas of the business. So starting to look at where your time is going, how you feel about where your time is going and what you maybe need to start moving off of your plate. I really like that because I know my team and I have been tracking my time. I was in the mail dives for my own mastermind with my coach, James Remco in September. So uh, a while ago. And one of the things that we were talking about there was there's this man named Felix and he works with companies who like make, you know, 50 million, et cetera, per year, but they look at time management as the biggest thing to be able to increase five to 10% of profit, right? Because time typically is what's holding people back. And so one of the things he said, Angie's actually going to be coming on the, uh, yeah, podcast, which is, I'm so excited for, but he was talking about, Angie, like we need to really track your time. And, and so every single day I was using, I've been using toggle for the last kind of, you know, six months or whatever. And we yeah. then categorized it. And then what we looked into was astounding what we found. And what we found was, is I've been the one doing the discovery calls, which again, cause I'm really big about if I'm going to work with someone, I want to be on the call with them. And then, but then when I started to unpack that, there are some beliefs and stories there that again, no one else could do it better than I could, et cetera. So what we're in the middle of doing is also hiring a salesperson to hop on that initial 45 minute discovery call. And if they're the right fit, I'll then hop on for a 10 to 15 minute call later if they choose to chat with me, because I'm spending anywhere from four to five hours a week doing discovery calls, which is taking me away from being able to have a bigger impact on supporting more women in business to grow sustainable and profitable businesses. And so again, time management, I can't agree enough about being able to assess what you're doing. Um, And I really also liked, I actually just was on a podcast this morning getting recorded with Anita from WordFetty, where we were talking about how everyone talks about outsource, outsource, outsource. And we were talking about, again, how sometimes maybe your job description, even though people aren't talking about it, incorporates things that you still enjoy, even though you can outsource those things. And one of the things she was talking about was her social media over at WordFetty. She does a brilliant job with connecting and her stories are, uh, stories are great, but equally there's her content. She just speaks from the heart. It's just really great reading when you watch what Anita posts on Instagram. And she was saying that, Angie, I don't want to outsource that. I actually, it takes me no time. It's effortless and it brings me joy because I'm able to stay connected with my community. 
And so for her, it works really, really well. And she doesn't want to outsource it. But I think, again, it's about allowing people the permission to understand what you still love, what brings you joy, um, can still be those ROI activities that you're talking about. You don't have to outsource everything if it's still bringing you joy. So I appreciate you touching upon that. Absolutely. And at some point you might say like, yep, this brings me joy, but it just doesn't make sense anymore. Yes. And you might do a handoff, but that doesn't have to be now. There needs to be a prioritization. And that's one way you can start to prioritize. Yep. Absolutely. So we've got mindset. We've talked about time management. Now onto systems. What do people need to know when they're looking at cloning themselves in regards to systems? Okay. Now the number one thing I want to say about systems is don't try and boil the ocean. So oftentimes I see people saying, I'm going to build out my whole operations manual. (laughs) Again, I want you to prioritize here. What's going to have the biggest impact on your business? What's going to have the biggest impact on your client satisfaction? What's going to have the biggest impact on your and your team's sanity. Start with those things. Start with the high impact systems and start to document those things. Start to build a flow around things. What are the things you do often that documenting those things is going to help you operate your business more efficiently? Mm -hmm. I... So oftentimes I see people try and take it all on at once and then things change or they realize like, I'm still working on systems, but I really need to be working on client, you know, revenue generating activity. Yeah. Don't try and boil the ocean here. This does not need to be done all at once. It is important to have things documented, but it is not necessarily the most important thing in your business. Mm -hmm. And I do appreciate that. Again, it goes back to that analogy about the elephant. You can't eat an elephant all at once, right? Take little pieces. Again, those ones that are high priority, start to create your policies and procedures because then again, in my opinion, don't get me wrong, and I know we're going to talk about hiring, is there sometimes like I've just hired someone, I'm like, we're just going to wing it, right? However, the one time I did that, it was so much more taxing on me emotionally and mentally than the times I've hired people when I did, even if my system, even if my policy and procedure is skeleton, I've still extracted enough from my brain that they can go and start doing the job. And then when we, you know, check in weekly, we can kind of just tighten it. Whereas that one time when I winged it, it was like a nightmare. Like I was like, uh, and that was, but then it it almost felt like I'll just do it myself. It almost is like we self-sabotage ourselves um, in some ways. Well, that's how I felt for me. I can't speak for everyone. And I'm like, Oh my goodness, I should have just done it. Right. So I totally agree. Start with one or two things. And then I'm assuming that we'll go into our hiring, which is your kind of step four. Yes. So, and systems do set you up to hire. Well, the more systems you have built out for the person you will hire, the better, but this also gives you an idea of the type of person you need to hire. If you have a lot of systems, well-documented, you may be able to hire someone who is more junior because they'll be following just a step-by-step checklist. Mm -hmm. However, if it's something that's more strategic, if it's something that's not well documented and someone is going to have to bring their thinking and their thought leadership to the role because Mm -hmm. it's not documented, because it's something that you don't have subject matter expertise in, so you need their subject matter expertise, you may be hiring someone more senior. Mm -hmm. So that sort of gives you some indication of the type of person you will be hiring. Mm -hmm. And as you think through the hiring process, now this is, this is a whole system and a whole body of work unto itself. Mm -hmm. But I want you to really remember that you are hiring someone that you gel with well. Mm -hmm. One of the best ways to find the right person for your team is definitely through referrals. However, you still need to make sure it's a win-win for you and that the person that was referred to you aligns with your values, fits your specific role. They may still be a great person, but they may not be the right person for your specific need at this time or for the way that you work in your company, or there may not be values alignment. Mm -hmm. And that's actually before you do any hiring, I would love for you to be aware and to document what your values as a company and as a person are, Mm -hmm. because this is where breakdown can come from the jump. If there is not values alignment, Mm -hmm. for example, one of my core values is absolutely family. Mm -hmm. And if my kids get sick, if something happens with my family, right? I need a team and I need someone who's going to support me in that. And again, not judge me, 
right? Is not going to, where'd she go? Well, she has yeah. to be here. This is really important. No, I need someone who's going to rally and say, Hey, her family, her kids are sick. Her kids have chicken pox. Her kids have mono. Her kids have strep, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. We've got to back her up right now. And they're going to rally and they're going to step in and take care of that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Amen. And I, I can't even, you know, for even if you're not hiring, one of the things that I do with my own coaching clients too, is looking at those core values right at the beginning yes. of the process. Because once you can understand your values, it, it flows with your content creation. It flows with your offerings. Yes. It flows with the people you attract in and the people you repel out. Like, yeah. And then not to mention the hiring process. Like I think the hiring process is a bonus too, right? But yeah, you knowing your core values, do you know what I mean? is so important. We've got six, you know, core values. I was also looking at yours. You've got a few too but it is, it's so important. Some of the things you're talking about also remind me of an amazing book that I've read called Traction, where in Traction, they talk about hiring based on need and not trying to fill the seats, right? And so often it's like, I hear the example of like a VA, for example, I'm going to hire a VA and she needs to be able to do my newsletters, do my social media, do my graphics, do this. Well, not every VA has that, that generalist role, right? You might have to hire a VA that's really good at say Photoshop, but then you might have to hire a VA that's really good at scheduling and a VA like for your strategy, there could be different VAs. So I also think it's important that to hire people based on what it is you're looking for, but equally to make sure that they're the right fit for the seat. And so, uh, yeah. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, there, I definitely agree with the need, fill the need on the seat. Jim Collins also talks about the analogy of get the people on the bus and then move them into the right seat. Yes. I agree with that on too. Yes. Yep. It's really challenging for us as small business owners though, because we don't, we can't just fill up a bus. We have small (laughs) budgets. So we've got to be nimble, right? We've got to think about our budgets. And we've got to think about, okay, here are the seats that I have. How am I going to effectively strategize and prioritize so that I can fill right the smallest number of seats or you're going to have a lot of resources to potentially manage as well. So I think that there's this balancing act um, and you've got to really be strategic and mindful. And again, it comes back to prioritization. What do I need to fill first? What's going to, what's going to really enable me to get the biggest bang for my buck in terms of me stepping into that leadership role more and more, me being able to serve my clients better and better, and for us to run and grow our business better. So you've really got to be able to prioritize. And this is where this role of um, someone who can either be an online business manager, what some people are now calling an integrator or an operations manager, right? One of these roles who can manage potentially multiple roles for you. If -hmm. you're going to be filling multiple seats with different people, um, so that that you can help, because I totally agree that you might be looking at different people. And we did that for a long time. And, and the other thing, if you're looking at lots of different people and you don't have the budget for an overarching role, someone who could be a little bit more expensive to manage multiple people who are doing different things is to really hire people who are good at communication so they can hand off effectively and you have strong systems in place. So this is where you start to see how these things start to move together in sync Mm -hmm. and how each piece of this, how to clone yourself pie, everything just kind of starts to click together like Legos. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I do like the analogy about the bus is that Sometimes you can hire someone and then again, once you get them in there, you start to see what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are. Yes. And then typically your business is evolving. So you, you might have a conversation. Okay, this is this new role is coming up. You might be a better fit for this. How can we, it doesn't mean that they're the end all be all, but I think there's yeah. equal opportunity for them to get, like you said, moved around. But I think also sometimes there's elements that when your business grows, sometimes people don't grow with it. But that also goes down to sometimes really understanding again, what we talked about those values. Because if you're, if you know your values, typically people's values don't chop and change that much, right? Like they really, unless they're like really faking it in a, an interview, which people can do, but most people don't chop and change, but it's totally okay that sometimes too, you've got to let people go because they no longer fit within the business model. Yes. 100%. Yeah. I love that you called that out. And I think that calling that out and us recognizing that, because I think that's a fear as well. What if I have to let people go? That is a really stressful process, but I really ground myself and encourage you to ground yourself in this idea that it doesn't necessarily mean that anyone did anything wrong, right? Exactly right. Letting go of relationships and transitioning and, and air, I'm I'm quoting this because I don't necessarily like this term, but the firing of a relationship, 
relationship or someone from our team, it's not always bad. It could sometimes be good for people, us, them. It just means that we are no longer a fit. Not good, not bad. It just is. It just is. And I think that's where, again, sometimes our emotions as humans get in the way. But sometimes you can have someone that's just dragging the team down, dragging your growth down, right? And that's where sometimes I have to say, sometimes just business is business. It doesn't mean you have to be a horrible person or a bad person. You can still give this person good references, right? But sometimes change happens. Now, talk to me about the last step in order to clone ourselves, which is leadership. What does that look like? So this is you continuing to step into that leadership role in your business and embracing your role as CEO. So holding the vision, sharing with your team and oftentimes your clients in your community, where is this company going? How do we serve our clients in our community? What are our revenue goals? What does our business model look like? How do all of these parts that we have talked about today and the other parts that you have in your business, how do things really fit together? But it's also about creating white space and having space for time to learn and time to grow as a leader. It's also about having space and time to have conversation with people when they're having a hard day Mm -hmm. and to have conversation with people when things aren't going as well as you would have expected, right? Mm -hmm. So having that space for the, the tough conversations. And when you have space for things like that, it's a little bit easier. When we have them on the fly and only when there's a fire, right? Okay. We let it get so bad that now everything is on fire, then that that's it's trickier. It's trickier to handle those types of situations. So when we're proactive about it and we leave that space and that time to lead so that we can be intentional in that space and in those moments, that's that's what this gift of leadership is. Now, I think you raised an important point because one of the things that I've been talking about with a lot of women in business who are hitting that seven, eight-figure marks is this. You go from solopreneur, and then you're told outsource, outsource, and then you get to this visionary role, the CEO role, and you've gone from doing everything on your own to now having to have leadership and management skills. It isn't an easy transition. And I think, again, I'm grateful that you brought it up because not a lot of people are talking about this transition period that has to happen when you start to hit that scale and growth stage, right? It's like, okay, great. Well, now I've got a team. And now they're wanting me to check in on them and I got to people manage people, right? Sometimes again, even as a visionary and CEO, our skill set still might not be good leadership. We might have other zones of genius and being able to recognize that some of us aren't good at the leadership role where some of us, there's elements that we might be good at, but not all other elements. What are your thoughts about that? I think you are spot on. It's an incredibly difficult transition and even as I think about the transition that I, I made, continue to make from being in the weeds to that visionary CEO role, um, you know, I just kind of dropped things. I'm like, I cannot do this anymore. I need to be operating in this new CEO visionary role. And I just had to let it go in one business. Yep. <laughs> and then I strategically dropped balls. I'm like, I'm dropping them, everybody. Here I go. You ready? <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> catch. <laughs> and then, or don't catch and we'll pick them up later. And yep. then in the other business, um, the photography business, Everybody observed that I was very much in a leadership role and I then had to coach other people to step into leadership roles as well mm-hmm. because so it's a it looks different in every business and so we start to have to define what will our leadership role be mm-hmm. and you're spot on sometimes we will still have a subject matter expert role mm-hmm. we will still have a different zone of genius that we tap back into so we sort of have to build our role description for our ceo and our leadership role at our company mm-hmm. and you know, I can share for me, that looks like I very much manage our strategy and mm-hmm. I very much manage our financials and our, you know, our growth plans and our emerging markets, so to speak, plans. Where will we step out? How will we grow? What new markets will we step into? But then creating that vision for other people too and getting them to buy into that. Do you agree? What am I missing? Mm-hmm. So I think it's a new challenge. And 
we have to like any change management effort. I spent a lot of time in change management in, in companies. It's a personal and a company change management effort. And we have to navigate that and build a plan for it. And sometimes that plan includes therapy yeah. <laughs> and yeah. it includes coaching and it includes all the things because as you move through that space, new things are going to come up. And I use the phrase new level, new level, new level, new devil. But I also use the phrase new level, old devil, because sometimes old things will come up as well that we're like, oh, I thought I dealt with this. And here it comes again. Mm. So we've got to process old things that we thought we dealt with and here they come again. And so there's new stuff to work through emotionally as well as professionally. Gosh, and I think we were talking about that before we hit record, right? Is sometimes we can hit that new level and we're like, oh, I think you're talking about the passing of your grandmother, right? And you're like, oh, there's, this is coming up. Why is this coming up, right? It, this hasn't been a problem, right? And now we're like, okay, now we got to, it's here for a reason. The universe is giving us this message, this nudge for a reason, and there's something there to unpack, right? So I think it is important. Again, it's, that's the evolution of business. We're constantly changing over and over and over again. Now today... Amber, what an amazing episode filled with a variety of different nuggets from cloning to, yes, just laughing, really, you know, looking at our own stuff, judgments, you know, what is leadership systems, et cetera. So for those listeners that are, that are obviously listening to us, where can they connect with you and learn more about you? Oh my gosh. I would love to connect with you. I am super easy to find. I'm basically Amber McHugh in all the places, including my website, ambermchugh.com. Fantastic. And I've got one final question for you. What do you know now that you wish you knew when you first started in business? Oh my goodness. Coming right back full circle to the beginning. You are always right on time. Dude, fantastic. I love it. Now, before we sign off for the rest of you, my team and I will also be putting together the whole transcription for this episode at AngelaHenderson.com.au. And as I mentioned earlier, if you enjoyed the episode, I'd love for you to share it, especially over on Instagram stories, taking me, Angela Henderson Consulting, and also Amber McHugh. We'd love for you to share it. It would put a smile on our dial. And if you are obviously listening to this podcast, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. I'd greatly appreciate it. Thanks again, Amber, for being on today all the way from Ethiopia. I hope you have a beautiful day with you and your family. And for the rest of you, I look forward to you joining me again next week for another amazing episode of the Business and Life Conversations podcast. Thanks again, Amber. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to the Business and Life Conversations podcast with Angela Henderson. www.angelahenderson.com.au